Cup of Tea Tales, Times of Wonder, Christmas in Lawrence Avenue in Giptonwood Crescent, Leeds, 1950s and 60s, Part 1. Christmas in the late 1950s and early 60s was a very different beast to the overindulgence and massive consumerism that is the norm in 2022. Not long out of rationing, there was a simplicity to Christmas festivities that was still steeped in the Christian faith rather than the commercial faith of today. Steinbeck Preparatory School and Hare Hills County Primary, where I spent my primary years of schooling, felt no embarrassment about being exclusively Christian in outlook. As a child, though, the whole period was one of excitement. It was a time when special songs were sung, stories were told, parties were held, and it also signified the ending of winter and the soon-to-arrive New Year. This is my account of Christmas at this time, and whilst not everyone would have had exactly the same experiences, I'm sure many of you will recognise what we experienced in your own families. As Christmas Eve got nearer, my excitement would build. The weather was usually fairly awful, cold and grey, but suddenly things changed. An old artificial Christmas tree would be dug out from the loft, given a bit of a dusting down, glass baubles added and a little tinsel. It was only about three foot tall, but to us it was magical. Occasionally streamers and balloons were hung around the front room and lounge, and this seemed to bring colour into a very monochrome world. As mentioned last week, we would often take a Sunday afternoon trip to Hetchel Woods to collect some holly with blood-red berries. Mum would arrange these around the round metal frame mirror that was over the fireplace. We never had an advent calendar, but certainly at Steinbeck Preparatory School, Miss Cowling did, and the opening of the little card window was a major part of the morning ritual. Inside would be a little picture of something linked to Christmas, a snowman, tree, baby Jesus, magi, with maybe a smattering of glitter. At home, Christmas cards would start arriving in the post, they were not quite as grand as today, but were more simple traditional affairs, with maybe just a trace of glitter to the religious or Dickensian themes. Mum would begin to hang them up as they became too many to house on the mantelpiece. I remember counting them, and 70 was quite the usual, but some years even more. I don't ever remember a postwoman in these times. Worked very hard, and their bags must have been very heavy. It was a time when parents discovered how many people they knew, but saw only rarely had fared over the year. Winters tended to be quite depressing, and this mood was lifted with a general anticipation. I do not know how traditions start in families, but somehow they do, and in hours Mum and Dad would host the family party, where my grandparents, Harry and Mary Ray from Chapel Allerton, and to Joan and Uncle Ernest, and their daughter Angela from Coventry, and later Kenilworth, would all arrive and enjoy the festivities. On Boxing Day, we would all have a second go, when my grandma and grandad hosted the party in their house in Regent Terrace in Chapel Allerton. Over the years, additional guests would be invited to our home, as my mother found waifs and strays in the district, usually pensioners, that would miss out otherwise and spend Christmas alone. My older brother and I went to sleep on Christmas Eve in a great state of excitement, 
A pillowcase was placed at the bottom of the bed in case Santa decided that we'd been good enough to warrant a visit. My younger brother didn't experience this in Lawrence Avenue, as he was too young, but he did later in Gibsonwood Crescent. I can still remember the recurring dream or nightmare that I used to have. It was like a circular pattern maze that started, and just when I thought it was reaching the end, it started back from the beginning again. This probably has some deep meaning of insecurity or something, but I experienced this every year as a child. Eventually I would wake up and I'd think it was about one in the morning or some similar ridiculous time. I would feel down at the bottom of the bed in the dark to see if there was anything there or whether I was wrong and it wasn't Christmas at all. Usually I managed to feel the pillowcase and it held some things inside. I would put the light on and very quietly sit up and begin to explore what treasures there were. Now I'm sure that the modern child would be very disappointed, but I wasn't. I remember one year there was a small slate and a slate pencil. Remarkably, it looked very much like the current iPad. It was about the same size, had a wooden border and a slate pencil. I thought it was great. There would usually be an annual of some sort. A selection of chocolate and oranges fruit was quite a rarity at this time of year and a few other toys. Toy soldiers, a wooden castle, one year assorted guns that sometimes fired rubber darts or caps, clockwork robots, and when I was very little, a donkey on wheels that was about 18 inches high. I think this was mine, but it could have been my older brother's. I know that a few years later in Gipton Woods he nearly killed himself sledging down a hill on the metal frame and hitting his head on the ice. Many families now all wait to open presents, but we didn't. After eating too much chocolate and opening presents, I would often fall back asleep for a while, but always got up very early. When we had one, we would put the television on and watch a range of programmes. Usually there was a carol service, and when I was older, Leslie Crowther from Crackerjack hosted Meet the Children, where he visited a children's hospital. I seem to remember a programme where a hospital was visited and they showed patients in iron lungs. Around the Christmas period, there were TV Christmas specials such as Steptoe and Son. I remember playing with whatever we'd been given and Mum and Dad would get up and after breakfast, Mum would start getting ready for Christmas lunch. Chicken, not turkey, was our feast in the early years and Mum was always tremendously stressed about whether it would be too dry, undercooked, the vegetables too hard or too soggy, if the roast potatoes were still hard, whether a gravy would be lumpy or similar concerns. The kitchen was very small, and my dad tried to make himself scarce and would often be vacuuming the carpets to keep out of the way. As we got older, we were instructed to set the table. Clean tablecloth, candle display courtesy of Hare Hill School, crackers and for us tomato sauce. I don't ever remember the Christmas lunch being up to her standard. She was convinced they were all failures, but it never bothered any of the rest of us. We would eat after pulling the crackers, donning our party hats, reading the poor jokes and fighting over the trinkets that shot out of the crackers with the bang. Of course, the stress of preparing Christmas lunch was just the start of my mother's worries, and for the rest of us, ours. 
My mother had spent weeks preparing for the Christmas party and she had a wide range of games that she organised. The type of thing that she did was cut famous faces out of magazines and number about 12 of them on a sheet of paper. The game was that you had to list as many as you could. Some were obvious, but others were less so. Another might be the linking of catchphrases with a range of celebrities. Usually we'd work in small groups and we youngsters would rely on the oldies for film stars, etc. But the youngsters came into their own when it was children's stars, such as Pinky and Perky, Thunderbirds, Lady Penelope, Torchy the Battery Boy, The Wooden Tops or Bill and Bem. There was also the Pass the Parcel, and these would have a selection of forfeits interspersed amongst the wrappings. We didn't have a record player, so the large wooden radio provided the music. Who could forget the need to go out the front door and shout, Merry Christmas, everyone! Or having to tell a joke or sing a carol. My mother's greatest claim to fame was a Christmas ode or rhyming story. Maybe this was where my writing of pantomime started, a genetic trait from my mother. But she would put together a long poem. She would often use tunes that were well known and parts would be distributed. And after a few drinks, the adults were more open to taking part. There was humour, there was noise, there was laughter, and we really enjoyed ourselves. We soon forgot the terrible mood that gripped my mum as she built up to the start of the party. My father rarely escaped her ire in the afternoon. According to her, he had no idea what she went through. And he probably didn't. The stress always ate into her. When the party was well underway and the adults had enjoyed a few drinks, baby sham for the ladies, or my father's standard joke, would you like a Madeira Madeira, and whiskey for the men, she seemed to relax more and felt it was worthwhile. It was the same every year until it became too much for my mum and my wife and I took it over and hosted it. If you enjoy my tales, then you might be interested in knowing that there are two collections of them. The first, A Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and the second, Another Cup of Tea, The Teenage Years. Both are available as paperback from Amazon and ebooks from Kindle.